Welcome to Rethinking Neurodiversity, a podcast looking at the history, triumphs and challenges of divergent thinking. We're your hosts, Fran and I Ling, and together we'll be talking to neurodivergent advocates, experts and those with lived experience to rethink the narrative around neurodiversity. This podcast is brought to you by Noetic Health, the intelligent neurodiversity app for adult ADHD, autism, dyslexia and dyspraxia. In this episode, we talk to Andre Skeppel about the self-discovery journey that he and so many neurodivergent people have been through. Andre is also the founder of Full Spectrum, and we talked to him about being a neurodivergent entrepreneur and the strengths and challenges that this can bring. Hi, Andre. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, great to see you. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing very, very well. Still recovering from... Uh, a wedding I went to, so um, I'm about 90% uh, there. I'll probably be 100% tomorrow, but I'm getting there. <laughs> oh, I bet you're full of love as well, though. Yeah, yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice feeling after a wedding. <laughs> it's definitely wedding season is in full, full swing, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I know someone who said that they've literally got a wedding every, pretty much every weekend this summer. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. That sounds like your summer pretty much sorted then. You've got to, you've got to do the reverse rain dance to ensure that it's, uh, you got at least one of them doesn't turn into a washout. Which in the UK is about a 3% chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it'd be great if you could introduce yourself, Andre, tell us a little bit about your world um, and what got you interested in neurodiversity in the first place. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm aware of a number of hats. But to keep things succinct, I'm very much an entrepreneur that looks at um, developing solutions, people, processes, policies that all link to how to bring about what's called neuroinclusion. So I'm neurodiverse myself, I'm dyspraxic and dyslexic. Um, that whole emergence of me being neurodivergent pretty much gave me the, the focus, the passion the um, kind of like the niche in terms of how I like to be a, a change maker within this area, uh, not just for children and people, but for everyone really, you know. And so for me, um, one of the companies I'm running is a company called Full Spectrum. Uh, it's had a very, very interesting history. So uh, it was originally founded in 2018. Uh, it was born from my frustrations of being a neurodivergent learner and subsequently a neurodivergent employee and realizing that I wasn't getting the support that was apparent to me, but my diagnosis was very related. So I wanted to build an AI platform that only can identify um, the neurodivergent needs of a person at this point in their learning, but how the information can provide uh, a next level of personalization to the education, the health, the social care, the employment, all the necessary things that actually makes them, that gives them the, a high quality of life because as neurodivergent people, one of the key things that we struggle to achieve is that self-regulation of how we attain a high quality of life. So I kind of thought that with that as being one of the main things that I do, as well as other things as well, including men's for our startups, um, I'm also a lobbyist for policies as well. Um, my whole mantra is all about bringing new inclusivity from an intersectional um, approach. Amazing. Yeah, that's, um, it's so important to have that intersectional approach as well, because 
neurodiversity can't be seen as separate from other forms of empowerment because like one of our advisors told us a while ago when you're not careful social justice movements become very sort of white-led spaces um and so it's so important to maintain that um that intersectional lens isn't it well this, it, this is it i think what you tend to find is that um the concept of university even though it's a universal concept regardless of where you're from or age you are but because of the disparities that are out there in current um, services that support us in different areas, those from marginalised backgrounds, in addition to the systemic issues that determine how marginalised they are, university is kind of like kicking someone down in a metaphorical context. You know, we we have our own, as being an aversion, we have our own challenges to how to fit into this atypical um, society that we're in. That is only just starting to really acclimatise to the concept of neurodiversity. But we have other things, other challenges, other hurdles we have to, you know, tackle and overcome every day. You know, it, it, it really does become quite an overbearing um, challenge. Nevertheless, for what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And for someone like me, and I've been through a lot of crap, it makes you a much more resilient person. And then that resilience can turn into a very potent, element of value to add into your company, to other companies, to other people, to society as a whole. So in a sense, if I was to put my philosophical helm, the emergence of university and the awareness of different intersections, those that are the strongest wills will come from those environments. And I think where we are in society today, we need people from those environments to be discovered and be one's the forefront of leadership, because I'd rather have someone who's been through tumultuous times and knows how to weather the storms than someone that doesn't have the capability of leading and executing um, visionary plans and areas to improve society if they haven't experienced themselves. That's one of the reasons why and I say this, and I, say, I can say this with a bit of um, clarity, because I actually do work in Parliament quite a bit, is the reasons why our politicians at the moment are failing spectacularly because it's a very atypical, a very monolithic uh, background that they come from and they don't really know what they're doing because they're not advised in the best ways because they haven't experienced real life. So it's all about capturing that, that talent, that value, the speciality at the right time, at the earliest time, so they can get the best support and no longer Mm. I think it is super important to appreciate people's backgrounds and the strengths that their life journey has taken them through and the strengths that they've drawn out of that. Um, but what we actually really often been seeing and some of the people we've spoken to as well are also entrepreneurs like you and Eileen's obviously an entrepreneur is the co-founder of Noetic. A lot of neurodivergent people are drawn to being entrepreneurs or to being self-employed do you think there's like specific reasons why you were drawn to being an entrepreneur that potentially related to neurodivergence or some strengths that it's brought you that have made you successful at it i would honestly say there's not one answer to this question because it is very much um objective to each individual and their and their um and their, their, their needs their requirements their preferences right but from speaking from my perspective which 
evidently is, you know, concurrent with a, a number of other people within the neurodivergent community. We very much can understand that if we're in an environment that is not going to conform or adjust to the unique attributes of us, then it is in our makeup, not just being creative or innovative or visionary, but also being very frustrated that if you're not in that environment that you're going to, it's what it's going to yield what you want in life, what you want in your career, your ambitions, but also evidently the understanding of who you are and allow you to be you once you're going through your own self-discovery, which is obviously the, the, the main topic of this conversation. You will go and build something of your own. That was my that, that was my reason for com- becoming an entrepreneur. I worked within the biotech industry. I worked within the industry for a while and did well in it. But I realized very, very quickly a number of things. Number one, I was very stuck into the same role that was the only only type of role that I could really depict of value, which was sales and business development. I knew I could do a hell of a lot more. So I was stuck in one of those roles. And every opportunity that I could show that I could do a lot more and become more edified into my very active thinking and my intelligence and my ability to create and solve problems and so on and so forth, I wasn't given the opportunity to elevate to the roles or to the um, to value that I kind of saw in myself. And because this was a perpetual notion, when I became a father, I was like, I've got too many, I've got too many good ideas. And also, every single role I'm in, there's not security. Because one of the things, and I think, and I know, I think you've probably been experienced yourself, when you're in roles, like we, we jump from roles to roles. So it's either, we're falling behind on certain things because we are uh, one of the areas of kind of like self-management has never been one that we master in. But also, because of how our brains work, if it doesn't fit into our makeup, we get bored very easily. So I always knew that I was always kind of like six degrees from being back on a dog, being, I need to find work. I not only, And especially when I became a father, I said to myself, no, I've got to break the cycle. I can't be in roles that I'm not going to recognize my talents. I'm not going to be in a role where I can be considered the original gangster. I'm not going to be just kind of just do the best from everybody else and so on and so forth. So I'm going to build my own. And I think evidently your entrepreneurship, if you look at entrepreneurship as under the critical definition, is about solving problems. And those who are neurodivergent, although are one of the most active thinkers and have a notion to solve problems. So if you see a problem they want to solve and you're unlucky enough to not be in the type of company or employment setting that solves the problems that dear to your heart, create yourself, go and build your own empire rather than manage someone else's. Yeah, I think there's, um, there's, a, there's positive reasons as to why neurodivergence lends itself well to entrepreneurialism. And then there's also negative reasons as well. The negative reasons being that it's really difficult to fit into the traditional workplace or into most traditional companies. And hopefully that is changing slowly. And I believe that companies, I've seen that companies really do want to support their employees, but as we've said time and time again, 
they're just under-resourced when it comes to doing so. There's just a lack of education around the value and importance of embracing neurodiversity um, in their workforce. And also probably just this resistance to step away, stepping away from the status quo. And the other thing is that um, entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism definitely doesn't provide stability. At least it doesn't pretend to. <laughs> Absolutely not. I used to have long hair. I used to have hair down my back. Did you? So that's one, I tell you, if you want an easy life, do, do not become an entrepreneur. And especially if you're neurodivergent. Yeah. Don't be neurodivergent. Don't be neurodivergent. <laughs> well, you seem to be doing a, a good job at it. <laughs> I mean, depends on your perspective. I mean, um, you're talking to an entrepreneur that um, had a pretty massive L on, on, on their sheet. But I managed to recover it. So just to put it into perspective, full spectrum um, went into liquidation earlier this year um, because of a number of failings operationally. So managing our finances, that's another divergent issue. Um, management in terms of um, vision of executing um, the product development, that's another divergent issue. Selecting people that will have taken certain elements of naivety to the advantage and kind of exploit. That's another neurodivergent issue. And um, kind of the lack of governance, not really getting the right support around me um, because essentially their impressions of what I could do was beyond what my true abilities were, which is also another issue that neurodivergent people come across. So you can actually say not to really give it the title of company failed because I'm neurodivergent. It's not that. The issue is, and it's the issue that we will resonate over and over again, is that lack of awareness, it's a lack of understanding, it's a lack of insight to work with those that think differently by providing them the right support, the right mechanisms of growth, and giving them the tools and the bandwidth to thrive. You know, and so we have to go through sometimes recurring failures, but then when you don't go anymore and you learn and you're able to execute those learnings into doing something better, you become a master of it. Everything that I do, the things that I do best at, I flopped multiple times. But because the way that we need to learn, our learning attributes differ to the neurotypical person. So even though there's a massive L on my rap sheet in terms of companies that I've founded and managed, I'm going to twist it around. That else for a lesson. It's not a loss. It's, it's win and learning. So you don't fail because you should keep going for it. So you should, you're standing, you're breathing. You're still in a position to win. And so we brought the company back. We acquired the company. Uh, we brought it back. We, we learned a lot of lessons from that and doing some, got some remarkable plans that we put together, primarily from the experiences that I've learned, but most importantly, building a better team, building better governance, more social capital, all those things. Again, version two, a much better version because that's how I learned. So, you know, we have to, and I think as those that are listening and those that are either are entrepreneurs in another version, or if you're in another version of future entrepreneurship, or better yet, if you're in a position to invest or support anyone in entrepreneurship, have to give them time and take the time out to learn and understand them, to analyze their attributes. If you take the time to support them and understand how to adapt and to create an optimized environment that helps them to thrive, they'll become the cornerstones of a successful society. 
I love that. The, the L for a learning. I absolutely love that. It's great. I'm going to start using that. I was like thinking of like learner driver. L and you got the green for the past. Like, yes. Yeah, it seems like you really, you really are a perseverer, which I really respect. But do you want to tell us a bit about your self-discovery of neurodivergence and that journey you went on? Yes. So let me tell you a very, very untruncated story of my life. So we're going to go way back and go back to the late 80s. Um, so I was born in 1986. Um, I started walking and talking pretty late. I think I was around... I didn't start talking until I was two, two and a half. So I had a quite late development. Now, in the late 80s, early 90s, you mentioned the word neurodiverse. They have no idea what to talk about. In fact, a number of different conditions were very, very, very early in its infancy of understanding with some of the most elite professionals in psychology across the world. So they just saw me as a child that has a severe developmental delay some sort of cognitive disability, cognitive impairment. So they put me into a special needs nursery and this special needs nursery that I was in was filled with children that had um, quite extreme um, learning disabilities. So I was in that environment of those that unfortunately wouldn't will have very profound difficulties in the learning environment. And then all of a sudden I started walking. All of a sudden I started talking. And they're like, oh, it's happening here. And they then decided to do a number of tests, of which one of the tests did was an IQ test. Give an IQ test, and my IQ test came back 120. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, one second, we're going to take you out of this nursery, put you into a mainstream centre, they put me into a mainstream nursery, and then subsequently I'm primary school. I did very well in primary school. I was pretty much an overachiever. I used to love learning. I used to love the application of learning itself. And also because I was lucky enough to be in a supplementary Saturday school for children from the African Caribbean community itself. So at the time, before I started Saturday school, I was doing okay uh, in school. But being in an environment where it was very much supported by people in my community, my teachers were black, it was much of a family-orientated environment and a very immersive type of curriculum. My attainment went through the roof. I was doing incredibly well. And I continued to do very well throughout primary school, throughout secondary school. Um, I was expected to go and study uh, medicine at um, a Russell Group University. So I managed to get into a really at the top of the top six-room college in London and um, wanted to study uh, four A-levels, maths, biology, chemistry, and computing. And I hated it. The environment was very chaotic. I found, it, I found it very difficult to adjust. New people, new teachers, and the course content was insane. I, 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 I really thought, what the hell is this? And not for what I'm trying, I always had this strong work ethic of studying and trying to do well and everything like that. But then it was, it was, a, it was a thing where, despite all the attempts, of trying to improve my grades, it was getting worse and worse. So I actually um, failed. I actually, um, I got a U in maths, I got a E in chemistry, an E in biology, and a C in computer science. And because the sixth form that I was in, I'm not going to name them. They know who they are. Because the sixth form that I'm in, they've got a very interesting policy where if you don't 
uh, achieve beyond a D or a C in the AS levels, they won't allow you to continue into the second year into an A2. So I had to believe. I only could continue with one of my um, courses. And because I was quite a model student, I used to help out with the teachers and do teaching. And so they wanted me to stay. They're like, oh, look, do this advanced vocational course in sciences. Two A levels, but you know, you'll get something. I'm like, okay. Oh, but you can't do A2 computing because the lessons of that course clash. So you have to drop the only A level that you can actually get fully. So I was like, no, nah, screw that. I left. I went and I had literally 13 hours to find a new college. I went online, started furiously trying to find uh, colleges that had spaces for me to do the lessons that I needed to do because I wanted to get into medicine. And I found a college. It was a typical higher education college. Went there, did fast track chemistry and biology. So A and A2 in one year and did A2 computing. I failed chemistry and biology again. I managed to get my level on computing. And so I, I went to college for another year, for the third time, but this time I was working full time. Now, it was at that point I realized if you fell once and fell again, something's not right. So I went to inquire. I said, I think I might have some sort of learning for you. Especially think about in terms of the past before when I had issues with speech delay and my development delay, and I had a speech and language therapist, and my mum was fighting my school to get SCN assessment all the I'm like, oh, Andre's on top set, he's fine, I don't have it. he doesn't access SCN, you know, he doesn't need additional support. I got my eyes checked. I was wearing coloured men. I'm like, have you been assessed for dyslexia? I'm like, you know what, I haven't, but I've considered it. It's like, go get assessed. I think you might be uh, dyslexic. So in the next college I went to, I asked for an early assessment and they're like, yeah, you may have to set because I've got Erlen syndrome which is a visual scopic syndrome where um, uh, visual intensity, so I had to have special overlays. So they gave me like a pilot overlay to put over my work and everything like that. Um, and I felt, <laughs> well, I didn't fail, I did slightly better my A-levels. I did well enough to get into uh, a university for clearing, and it was a brand new course. So I couldn't get into medicine, but to, uh, to biology. Then in my UCAS, application i thought i have a learning disability so let me see what happens so i put in my application and it took it serious i didn't get any assessments or any support in my first year of uni they were like well we'll give you 10 percent extra time because that's what you've got in college and like in terms of what like extra time with what sitting down and feeling more frustrated that i'm finding it difficult to run my answers in time period or to run my answers allegedly because you know, I had issues with my dexterity of my fingers and I couldn't keep my hand right enough in order to be there. And a whole a plethora of, of, of issues that exam techniques will never be um, a satisfactory element of determining how well I'm doing in my course. And then I got the call, I was like, yeah, we're going to get you know, pay for you to get an assessment. Got a needs assessment first. So looking at all the needs I have and all the things there, they're like, right, we'll, we'll get you assigned to an educational psychologist all the way in evening. When we were in got it's just because I just spent 75 minutes doing a full assessment. And it was at that moment when they said, you are severely dyspraxic and partially dyslexic. In fact, this is how I know you're dyspraxic. Look on the knee issue. Tell me if one half part of your soul is more worn down to the other. Look, I'm like, yes. It's like, he completely sucked out all of the, the clubber issues that I was having that was preventing me from 
getting the attainment that I needed, but also he very much declared I was unsupported in my education pretty much throughout most of my curriculum time. And the only times when I was doing really well in school was the times when I was attending that Saturday school. Now, I completed that Saturday school when I was 16. So when I finished year 11, didn't have that additional support when I was in sixth form. And they're completely different when it comes to, you know, the high levels of education going to university and support. So I ended up getting additional support. There wasn't the best support. But at the time as well, I owned it. Rather than say, oh, I've got this, I've got this. I was like, no, I make, it makes sense. I felt empowered. I thought, absolutely. This, this makes so much sense. It makes sense. So in university now, I used to talk to a lot of my peers say, I got assessed. And because of this, I've got, uh, they give me extra money to get myself uh, a brand new uh, MacBook and this and that. And, da, 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 da. and people were like, oh, how did you get this stuff? And da, da, da. I was like, I've got assessed. And they're like, you know what? I think I might be dyslexic too, or I think I might be neurodivergent. And because of my self-discovery, it influenced a whole range of others to get assessed themselves. There's such a ripple effect. So it was a ripple, massive ripple effect. I have people to this day come to me and saying, thank you for letting, me, letting them know that such a thing existed because they've got assessed, they've got support, and now they're doing so much, so much better. But it's because of seeing my stories and explaining how it works as a fourth, it really works for them. So that self-discovery not only gave me a sense of purpose and a justification of how I approached my work and therefore my personal development and professional development, it also influenced others. And they are very brilliant people and they are those that if they didn't have that enlightenment that I gave them from my self-discovery, who knows what happened. But at the same time, it gave me a sense, when I say it's a demon sense of purpose, it then made me realise that there's a lot of young people, particularly those from marginalised backgrounds, that had no idea that this process of support ever existed, let alone there are elements of our neurology that are so unique that we have to adjust our environment of learning and development to suit it. So I was like, well, this is one of the root causes why so many marginalised communities have youth crime and youth violence and gangs and low grades and, uh, and just a plethora of social economic issues because with the disengage in their learning and disengage in communicating communication with society you don't understand how to engage with them then you are pretty much declaring their difficulty of coming for members of society until they're not so that kind of showed what i need to do and it was a ripple effect going through, you know, through work and through my career and able to explain it. And it got me out of some big situations. But evidently what was clear is that the workplace didn't know. They're under, under law, they had to understand, but still didn't really have the capabilities of enforcement. So that's why, that's why I saw an opportunity to say, well, we can create insights, tools, platforms, technologies that can identify and assess the neurodiversal conditions or attributes of the individual and use that information to provide the right insights to those in all the different support sectors, industrial sectors, to optimise our environment to suit us to be person-centred rather than we conform and adapt to the curriculum that's close out there. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much my story of self-discovery and how it kind of influenced me doing what I do today but also that sense of purpose of ensuring that all of the studies that are linked to neurodiversity are becoming more equitable and inclusive 
because if they are, then if we can get a million more people like me or you guys, who knows what we can do in the world. Thanks so much for sharing, Andre. We've known, I've said that we've said this in almost every every episode. It's funny. Um, we've known you for a while, but we had no idea that that was kind of the full story of your background. So thanks so much for sharing. It really shows if you are surrounded by the right environment, if you have the right support, then you can succeed. And it was frustrating listening to your story because it echoes what we hear for a lot of people, like that they were doing fine at school, they were coping, they were doing well, then their environment changes. Or often like people would leave school, move into the workplace, their environment changes. And then all of a sudden they don't have the right support. And that's when they go through this like self-discovery process. If you had um, one piece of advice for listeners who resonate with your story, whether as an individual who might be neurodivergent or someone that they know, or what maybe they're maybe they're a parent who's wondering whether their child is, um, what kind of advice would you would you have for them? And um, the best advice is to spend time and just reflect and understand where your challenges are. Once you can identify challenges, speak to people about the challenges. Speak to as many people as you can and are comfortable in sharing because through those conversations, you can discover in terms of where their support and where the gaps are to get support to elevate you. So reflect, discover, and communicate. Much less achieving key bit of advice I can get to anyone. I think that's really good advice. It'll be very helpful for the people listening. No worries. Just to sign off, there's one last thing I'd like to kind of say, and again to that, there's one thing I say to my colleagues and my friends: if you want the best from me, I need the best around me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that should maybe be the title of this podcast. <laughs> and it's actually profound the effect that your environment has on cognitive flow and how you operate. That's the the built environment. That's your social environment your learning environment, just, it's not you, it's everything around you that's influencing you because we're very sensitive to our surroundings so much more than we realize. Well, thank you so much, Andre. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And um, if anyone wants to follow you, what's the best place to, should they check out Full Spectrum? You can check out Full Spectrum. The website is down at the moment because we're making changes, but you can find me on Instagram at Steps, S-K-E-P-P-Z. Same um, on Twitter as well, as well as Instagram. Or you can find us at Full Spectrum uh, with a K uh, on uh, Twitter or at Full Spectrum Limited on Instagram. And just search for me on LinkedIn. You know what? Just put my name in. You'll find me. I'm quite on the bottom line, so you know, not that difficult. I'm going to confuse guys with different titles and that, so have fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, wow. My doorbell literally just went. That was a good timing, wasn't it? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Neurodiversity. We're always open to your thoughts and feedback, so please feel free to email hello at noetic.health or get in touch through our social media. Please follow, rate, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. <laughs>